0: Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between. Then crank the boombox, turn the lockman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry.
1: You have arrived to 80s Music Exposed, and I am Henry. And I'm Chris. And we are glad to be here. We're working on April of 1990. 1990? The hell. We are working on April of 1981. Plugs at the top. Plugs at the top, plugs at the top, party in the back.
2: Uh, Well, for those that don't have any clue what we're saying, and if this is your first episode, I apologize wholeheartedly. Oh, We're going to put the plugs at the top. We're going to go ahead and tell you all the stuff that you can do to get in contact with us if you wanted to right off the
1: bat. Right. We are 80s Music Exposed. We review records from the 80s month by
2: month, select five albums uh, every month to review. Right, and this month that we're covering is April of 1981. And Henry, if you like our show, that's not you, but the people out in mm-hmm. podcast land, uh, and you like the records that we do choose, please rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a big difference. We want uh, to expand our
1: listeners' base, obviously, and... Uh, When you vote us up on iTunes, people get to see it, right? Yep,
2: and we really appreciate it.
1: Also, if you listen on Spotify and Stitcher, you can do the same
2: thing and share it with your friends. There are share buttons everywhere. Share it with a buddy. Yep, that would be the easiest way to do it. And you can also chat with us three different ways. You can chat with us on Twitter, at 80s80sexposed, E-X-P-O-S-E-D. Or eighties music exposed at gmail.com. That's our email address. Or you can talk to me or Henry personally on Twitter and get ready for profanity laced <laughs> tirades if you do. <laughs> um, I am Chris, but I am at T C I Duke and yeah. that's T-C-I-D-U-K-E. And Henry's Twitter handle is at Hank G. H-A-N-K-G-E-E. Hank G. Yep. And he usually responds with a lot more profanity than I do. I, I try to keep it, um, on I the use, level. I use, I use like,
1: um, all the shorthand millennial version, like A-F for as fuck or MF. Yeah, or, and if you
2: talk to me, you're going to get it full on. I'm going to just type out. He's going to go all, <laughs> all the characters. You're going to guess all the Twitter. All the Twitter characters. You'll get the full experience. We just set up recently, in the past couple months, a Patreon account. Our social media partner, Megan, did that. We are very happy and proud of her for doing that, but she also did a lot of work. So if you want to join our Patreon account, you can do that, and you can find it to join at www.patreon.com forward slash join, forward slash 80s Music Exposed, and you can see how to join and all the good stuff about Patreon there. There is extra content that will be available to our Patreon subscribers.
1: All our uh, proceeds of that go really back into helping produce the show, keep yep. the lights on. and
2: uh, Yeah, and we do have a couple helpers that help us, yep. Greg and Megan, behind the scenes. And, you know, uh, the podcast that kind of started this all for us, um, right where I actually got the idea, um, is, a, is a podcast that does the same sort of thing with movies. They, would, they were taking the entire 80s and going one month at a time and reviewing every movie that came out uh, from that month. But those guys gave it a good run, didn't and they? And they just finished. They said they couldn't keep going because it was just too hard production-wise, I think cost-wise, to keep it going. And I think they made it to, like, April of 1985. I suppose you have to buy the movie.
1: Right? I, bet, I, yeah, I don't know. Because it's there's... not like you're going to get it streaming or on any of the outlets or anything. You just have to find the, the DVD and get a copy of it.
2: Right. And right? so uh, it's, it costs us less, but we do have production costs. And we thank Greg and Megan for helping us. But if you do join the Patreon uh, account, that's where the money would go. So help us out if you've got a spare buck once a month um, to do that. And so
1: how, Internet audience, do you think that we select our records? Plugs at the top. Rags at the back. (laughs) We use a method that we've been calling rags, R-A-G-S. Tried and true, the rags method. R means the Rolling Stone reviews of that time period. If it got a five-star Rolling Stone review, yeah, we'll review it. The all-star, all all I said it wrong, the
2: all-music reviews. Yep, all-music is a website, and if they gave it five stars, we're going to review it. Grammy Award winners... Yep, we have one this month. If
1: an album was nominated for a Grammy, we're going to review it. And special requests.
2: I call that shit we like. <laughs> shit we like. <laughs> R-A-G-S. Rags. That's how we review the records. So, Henry, what were some of the significant events that happened in April of 1981 to wet everybody's appetite for going back into mm-hmm. April the te-
1: <laughs> April the 12th. The first Space shuttle flight happened knew Space you were Shuttle, I going to
2: over this one. And that's you... why you put it
1: first, because you knew that i will be like, oh, God.
2: Yeah. Oh, God.
1: And <laughs> let me talk about this main shuttle. I love me some space shuttle. Did you have the little space shuttle toy? Yes. Do you remember when those came out? Yes. Uh, little plastic. Did, and sometimes they would attach on the top of the... Uh, on the top of the plane.
2: Yeah, and my uh, my question to you was, was the first one, that the toy that came out, was it Discovery or was it Columbia? Well, the Columbia was the first one that went up. I'm sure it had Columbia on it. But Discovery went up, I believe, on the plane and did the flight where it just landed. Remember? Before, uh-huh. they, they didn't send it into orbit. They just put it on top of the plane and let it go, and then they landed it. But it never actually went out into space. Oh I, Columbia I'm did? so happy that I know more about this than Columbia actually. No no no, no loved not, it. not Columbia. Discovery. Oh I don't know about that. Yeah. Yep, yep, no. yep. So Discovery didn't didn't go up. Discovery, which Just I think is in the Smithsonian. It's never like one of them never got launched. That's Discovery. Okay. It yeah. did get it did go up <laughs> to see if it could land, but it never went into orbit. Yeah. Columbia was the first one into orbit. Right, right. Whew. That is a lot of history right there. Um, also, Henry, something even more important to my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> the <why> movie. <laughs> the movie Caveman starring Ringo so, Starr premiered well, at the box. All box. right,
1: so at this time of my life, I was really into the Beatles with a friend of mine. Were you? Okay. Yeah. Um, he was more into the Beatles than was, So he was he really into trivia. His name, I'll never forget him. His name was um Chris Barnes. Hi, Chris Barnes, if you're fine. Hi, out there. Chris Barnes, if you're fine. But we would listen to old radio things that ringo star would do and this was around the time when he was still talking about caveman oh yeah and he would go with my gorgeous wife barbara back <laughs> and that doesn't sound anything like no ringo that Starr, that but doesn't. it just sounds right my beautiful wife barbara back
2: <laughs> he was kind of the goofy beetle he was and you know what you know why i loved caveman because at that age the joke in the movie where he's got to go pee real bad, and it's cold, and he pees, and ice cubes come out. I don't even remember that. That was hilarious. <laughs> I just remember Barbara back. Oh, I could watch that over and over, him peeing ice cubes. Um, Henry, the final episode of Soap aired were, on April twenty. Were you allowed to watch Soap? No. My parents didn't let Mine me watch didn't either. Soap either. I bet it's so tame now. I just want to—I I, I need to go back, but, like, wasn't Billy Crystal on Soap? I, I have that memory, yes. Yeah. But it was it was, novel. it was a novel idea because it was basically a soap opera, a spoof on a soap opera, but in primetime television.
1: Right. And here I'm going to bring you a downer. It's okay. the first confirmed diagnosis of AIDS happened in April of 81. Wah, wah. Wow. I mean, We went straight from Barbara Bach to soap to <laughs> AIDS. All right. I'll bring you back up. Did you know that Bud Light hasn't been around forever? In my mind, it's just been around forever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. When I read that, they st- they test marketed Bud Light in April of 81. Uh, wow. And, you, it's, and you, it's still around. And so you, you think that it's been around forever and ever and ever, and it hasn't.
2: And Billie Jean King comes out. And by coming out, I mean, not like out on the center court at Wimbledon. She comes out as a lesbian. Um, she got sued by her lover for support. So I guess that made her come out, right? Yeah, she denied it, you know. I for knew for a, a while she didn't. I think she even had a kind of a beard, kind of marriage arrangement thing going on. I think so. That that was a big deal. I remember that. My mom was a big uh, Billie Jean King fan until that incident, and then and then wasn't anymore. Didn't hear a lot about that. After <laughs> that, <laughs> um, April first, Isuzu started selling cars in America. Do you remember Joe Isuzu? I do. The, the I do remember. I Joe had Isuzu. to put this
1: on here because I totally remembered. It. I felt like it was some subversive advertising they were doing because he would be he would he's the smarmy liar guy. I read that they were trying to get the liar from SNL, uh John Love Lovitz. John Lovitz. Yeah, that's the ticket. Like that guy. Right. And they got somebody else, but he would say things like How fast does the newest Suzu go? How does nine hundred and fifty <laughs> miles per hour sound? <laughs> and then they would at the bottom they put, he's lying. Yep, those were the good old days. I was like,
2: man, advertising was great. (laughs) Well, how about the albums of April of 1981? Let's get it. You want to get into that? Yep. All right, the first one we're going to talk about is Mistaken Identity. It's by Little... Little. (laughs) (laughs) It's by Kim Carnes. And the song we're going to play, I mean, we have to play it, right? That's it, really, that's the one. I mean, that's what everyone tuned in for. I know, yeah. Betty Davis Eyes.
1: As hollow
0: gold, her lips sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold.
2: She's got Betty Davis eyes. She'll turn the music on you. You won't have to think
1: twice. She's pure as New York snow.
0: She got Betty Davis eyes she tease you, she'll unhease you, all the better just to please you, she's precocious, and she knows just what it takes to make a
2: Henry, I have a real conundrum when we do these uh, album reviews. I I guess because we are covering so in-depth all these albums, I don't ever want to play the hit songs or the songs that are ubiquitous. But I'm like... I mean, I would question that we're covering them in-depth. Like... We well, have, I mean, like some, some records we have a cursory understanding of. Well, I mean, in depth, like we, we, you we, and I are looking for something more than just Betty Davis eyes. Right. From this right. record. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like it, I shouldn't play Betty Davis eyes. But then I'm like, if I'm the casual fan and I hear they're covering a Kim Carnes record, I better hear some goddamn Betty Davis <laughs> because, <laughs> right? Because that's what I want to hear. So I hate to say this as well. It's the best song on the record.
1: Yeah. Okay. So look, I want to take. I want to take the, the other side because I think it makes it more fun for the listener. But uh, the problem is, is that Betty Davis' eyes is an awesome was an awesome song then. It's an awesome song now. I love it, and it will be an awesome song in twenty. 20- 50. I think, okay? I think the biggest surprise I had listening to this was how awesome
2: Betty Davis Right, is.
1: But one thing I didn't know is when doing my homework is that she had a storied career before this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that she didn't write Betty Davis
2: eyes. No, she didn't.
1: And she I, didn't write very many songs on this the record. Or, the original version of it was written by somebody else and I listened to it. It wasn't that good. So kudos whoever heard what they heard out of that song to make it a hit.
2: Right. You know, Mm -hmm. well, it was, it was interesting to me looking back on this. There was a little period of time here that we were in um, this early eighties period where, and this is to me, the interesting part of this record, which is the story behind it. Mm -hmm. There was a point in time when the industry decided with production people and professional songwriters. And when I say professional songwriters, I mean, people that actually worked at the record companies that didn't, uh, they weren't artists that were mm-hmm. making songs. They decided to take these these career artists in one certain genre and try to make a album to cross them over. Is that what this was? Well, but the cool thing was the idea at the time was to do a gunshot approach or a shotgun approach to the record and try a bunch of different styles. So I, my first impression listening to this album was, if you don't like this song, wait a minute, you're right. going to get another one. And I, I at first I, I went, there's no cohesion, right, I hate right. this. Incoherent, yeah. or but, not, or not cohesive. But what I learned was, which I, I found interesting, was the other two artists that this was attempted with, Um, it worked for both of them. And it was Olivia Newton-John's physical album, which um, had a bunch of different styles mm-hmm. on it and tried to break her out of whatever it was she was. And then the Tina Turner album, which went beyond... Uh, amazing which we're going to cover soon called Private Dancer which tried to get her out of that uh 60s I Tina thing right. and update her but it had a scattershot approach too where the songs that you know like from Private Dancer there's there's three different styles of songs on that album as well The argument that was made by the people I I read reviewing this record was that Betty Davis' eyes was so good a song that the rest can't. It fucked the rest of the scattershot approach up.
1: Well, it's like if you listen to it, the rest of it's just a bit basic and boring. It's got some sort of basic barman blues in there somehow. Well, what I
2: wanted to say was, for me, I listened to it two or three times, and if you take the shitty song that she wrote, which mm -hmm. is this country song, uh, this barroom country song, if you took it off of the record. The record becomes a lot better. Also, there's the song that was that uh, that was the second single, which was called "Draw of the Cards."
1: Did you hear that one? Which I liked. It was this it was weird, all right,
2: new wavy. Um, I, obviously, it wasn't her style. Like I don't know, she I don't know what she thought when she showed up to the studio to sing some of these songs. But I, I thought "Draw the Cards" was good. However, an argument was being made in the article I was reading what? that that what really ruined things was that "Draw the Cards" was the second single that they should have gone with mistaken uh, the song When I'm Away From You, which the guy in the in the article said is basically Rod Stewart. And I was like, what? And then I listened to it, and I was like, "Yeah, oh, my God, and she sounds like saw, Rod Stewart. I
1: saw people reviewing Betty Davis as they say, I would love to hear this as a duet with her and Rod Stewart. Yeah,
2: I kept hearing about this Rod Stewart stuff, and then I listened to uh, When I'm Away From You, and I'm like, that's just a Rod Stewart song. But she wrote hit country songs. She did. For other people. She did. And so, you know. It, but putting I think a country song on an album with Benny Davis eyes, it sounds it, weird. It
1: must be weird to have this storied sort of country career. But yet you're best known for this amazing 80s New Wave song. <laughs> right. You know. And that. that uh, it, it was darker. The song comes off as darker compared to the. We're still just talking about Betty Davis,
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I want to talk about the album in that. I think it's interesting to listen to because of all the different styles. There's a couple songs on here, and I think it's the ones that she wrote, or the ones that are the most country esque, that I think you could just hit fast forward to. Yeah. Um, but some of the other ones are interesting. There's a ballad on here that's kind of really weird and interesting. It does it. it Is it wrong, Henry, that it bothers me when an artist doesn't write all their own stuff, though? Is it wrong? Is it being snooty of me is, I guess, what I'm saying. Like, uh, I I don't ever give a person that doesn't write their own music the same credence as... You don't give them the same... Like, it really bums yeah. me out that Elton John doesn't write any of the lyrics. Per, of Talpin. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that Talpin writes them all. Right. Like, it, it always has diminished. That, that it's not, in your
1: mind, you're thinking, yeah, you wrote the music, but you didn't really write the words. It's not all you. Right. And then,
2: But then I hear an interview with Elton John, and I know I'm way off, way off here, but where he yeah. says he gets the lyrics, and he usually can write the music within a day or two, and I'm like, well, that's fucking amazing, because... <laughs> So sorry, Elton, I didn't mean to slag on you. But I do, I do. I kind of act that way if you don't write the whole bit yourself. Like, what if Robert Smith only ever just wrote lyrics? Or Morrissey
1: just what happens, Morrissey just wrote. What happens lyrics. is you can say, you will say, and I will agree, I do this too. It's just what the way we came into music, is that we if you write and perform it, you're you're put here. You're up on a pedestal. You're right? here. If you just perform what other people do, you're here and you can only be successful. Yeah. You're, low, you're lower than the people that write here. And, yes. But is there a point there is, there are people who do write and perform their own stuff. That's garbage. So it's below that.
2: And maybe they should um, know their limitations and just they, perform they, songs that other people yeah. help them with. Like right? maybe they would be better. Right. I know it's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, back to mistaken identity though. I okay. I think if you took the Kim Carn songs off of it, uh, it's better, right? It's okay, so and around on the back of your boombox,
1: there's a little switch that says '80s shit horns' and they, you can turn it on and off. Right. So if you reach behind, this and is turn in,
2: this is in Henry's the mind. '80s shit horn this is, button. This is in Henry's mind. That will immediately help with that record. This is this just is just a note. This is in Henry's mind. So um, one thing knows. that has been a scourge on his entire life are the amazing horns of the 80s, <laughs> late
1: 70s and early 80s. I I disagree with them.
2: And once he gets over that, he's going to enjoy a whole new side of life that I can't wait for him to uh, to experience. Excellent song, Beatty Davis Eyes. Won't recommend the whole record. I'm not going to recommend the whole record either. Although, if you do listen to it and cut out the country jams, it's not going to be like you're listening to... Uh, the, the album that we are always going to refer to as the shittiest album we've listened to, Ario Speedwagon.
1: Uh, I don't know. I said it was. A, I said it was a air supply. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. But I, it's I don't close, know, but that's a good it's one. It's close for it's, me. It's the suckinest. Yeah, record it's, all pretty, time. it's pretty sucky.
2: Um, Henry, what's the uh, next album that we're going to talk
1: about? Next song, next uh, record we're going to consider is called "Street Songs" by no other than Rick James, the King.
2: Henry, that so, song was ghetto life that we just listened to, by I, the way. And I, you know we weren't going to do Super Freak. No, I, I and I, I'll tell you the reason why I didn't yeah. do Super Freak was I was pleasantly surprised by how good this record was. Yeah. I was kind of, do you ever have that now when we're starting to review records for the week where you get in, in the car or wherever you're going to listen to it and go, oh man, this one, Where? what are the hit? Let me look and see. Okay, there's going to be Super Freak and, oh, I know this one. Okay. Let me see if I can get you start through doing the, some lead. Time. Let me see if I can get through the rest of it, and then I put this one on. I'm like, oh,
0: it,
1: that's that, a good record. The I record, like
2: it. the record bebopped you from one
1: be, bebop. That's a, but you know what I mean. Kept you popping all the way to the end. Yeah, it did. I and, um, I was pleasantly surprised by the entire record. He his. Did you notice that the way he sings sort of opened it up for everybody to uh, make fun of him a little bit, though, like. Partic- the the song that I'm thinking of I think is called Fire and Desire, with the one with Tina Marie the duet and it, I think it's it, the only ballad on the song. When you when you hear it when you hear it you immediately kind of go like this a little bit like but then you r- realize that then you are just kind of rolling with it and then I started realizing are there wrong reasons to I found I laughed a little at the record and but liked it. Did you have that reaction?
2: I I, well, that was part of what I wanted to talk about. I feel like if I'd list, I feel like if I'd approached this record at the same age I am now, then yeah, it wouldn't have seemed funny. There wouldn't have been any kind of humor to it at all. It would have seemed really hard, Mm -hmm. um, and like raw. Mm -hmm. And man, I can't believe he's getting away with saying this kind of stuff. Yeah, because he's talking about the streets, but now it sounds like a guy talking about the streets who's who's like. A guest spot on the episode of Twenty One Jump Street, but like a yeah, guy, you're like really simple. But there wasn't, or like th- you remember that dude on Miami Vice uh, that was their informant. That was like the funny, like um, <laughs> <Yes>. comic relief. <laughs> yeah. That's what it reminds me of. Like he's supposed to be street, but I guess so. And, and I'm not making fun of Rick James. The, the thing is, after living through some of the things that have come afterwards, mm-hmm. uh, all NWA and Two Live Crew, mm-hmm. Rick James. Seems tame. Rick also, James seems like, oh, this is... Also, this, this record was music? so
1: good that that lame-ass, like, MC Hammer
2: takes takes that... We'll off. talk about that in a minute. I want to save that. All um, right. I, I, I want to do a whole little jam on that. But but did, but did you I've feel the same way? I mean, I guess me and you in high school in, like, 89 or 90 yeah. got enamored with Two Live Crew. And you think well, about the things that Two Live Crew were saying... Um, Rick James was tame. But at the time in 81, it, I think I think every one of these songs is about fucking in some sort of way. Pretty uh, much.
1: Yeah, or it's bad out here in the street and I better fuck. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah, it's bad out here in the
2: street, so let's fuck.
1: Yeah, that's that's of, what it means. Yeah, yeah. So it's bad out right here on the streetless fuck.
2: But it but it does sound kind of tame, but I do want to say this about it. I didn't realize that the whole thing and this sounds stupid because it's the whole record's been sampled a billion times. Yeah, yeah. It's funky. I mean, here I am a white guy going, It's funky, but it is it is a funky record. It's and, and you know there's only it's simple. I believe there's only one ballot on the record, too. Which which was fire and desire, but I think but, it, it flows great. It's just and it's like, got
1: swagger. Yeah, it's just like bam, bam, bam. And did you see the the back of that record? No, the I didn't back, look at the cover. The backside back. is him with a policeman up against the wall, and the policeman's got his hand on Rick James's ass, and he's looking back like that, like smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, every that should have been the front of the. That record. should have been the front. But yeah. he has this badass cover, where he's just holding his bass. Yeah, he's just high. holding it up
2: high. This was his most successful album. This was his fourth solo record. Obviously, Super Freak was the biggest hit on the record, but it did have a couple other hits. He did work with Tina Marie on this record, who I didn't realize he had such a big hand in her career. Did you? Uh, but she's dead. Did you hear about how she died? No, I didn't know that. She was. He, he's also dead,
1: I believe. Yeah, she uh, was sleeping in a hotel room in '04, and a picture frame fell on her head that caused her a concussion. So she had momentary seizures for the rest of her life. Uh, she died in 2010. They found her dead, sleeping. The coroner called it uh, natural causes, but she had had a, what they call a tonic-clonic seizure like a week before that. And she was only 54 years old. So she got hit on the head by a picture, basically, and it, you know,
2: caused her seizures and killed her ultimately.
1: Isn't that crazy?
2: Maybe every time we do an album review, you can tell us how people from the album died, Henry. Well, well
1: I, can, I can tell you how Rick James died. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, so deaths. We should name, rename the episode "Deaths of People from the eighties. Henry brings it down. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was really pumped about this record. What, what you, no, you going to say? Did, how did Rick James die?
1: How did they, he? He has supposedly gotten clean. Oh, good for him! Right, but they found him dead in his LA residence, and his autopsy revealed as all prezam, diazepam, bupropion, citalopram hydrocodone, digoxin. Chlorphenamine, methamphetamine, and cocaine. This dude. So he got clean. He swallowed
2: the entire pharmacy. <laughs> you know how that is, though. and you not know, only that. You know how that is, though. When he, you get clean, he, and then that day comes, and you're just like, "Fuck it," you just gobble I, everything. I'm done. And and he was also a sex addict. How do and you? So, how do you get all that? in your system. I he just he just swallowed it, man. <laughs> Where did he even find all that stuff? I never even heard of that stuff. And he he has all
1: kinds of crazy there's all kinds of crazy fucking stories about this guy.
2: You know, oh, people, I I
1: people was going to bring met. up the
2: one that he uh, dated uh, Linda Blair for 2 yes. years. And you, I read you know that the that reason one? that they met was because she had said in, an, in a magazine article how cool she thought he was and hot he was and he called her up you ain't going to get by saying that about Rick James he going to call you see,
1: up see everything you know about Rick James is all colored by when Dave Chappelle said i'm rick james bitch <laughs> every and you can't help and so you have to laugh and then you listen to his records and you're like mm. well,
2: i like the record. so
1: did i and that's the thing it's like the, it's the reason
2: why i'm giving I, it a thumbs I, up I, i'm going to say this i think you should listen to it i i, I can't I, I can't emphasize this enough as a kid he kind of scared me he had the braids, and he was this big, huge black guy that was kind of androgynous, and he said all this stuff. And I was like, man, this guy's kind of crazy. But you know who all, who else scared me as a kid? What? Alice Cooper. And that guy's not scary at all. I I think the point is, culturally, we've changed so far. It may have made it harder to go back and say, I understand what Rick James meant and why it was great, except for things like Super Freak. Like, the Super Freak... Not just the two live or two. Live, not just the MC Hammer thing, but it's been sampled in tons of stuff. Now, specifically, I didn't want to talk about the MC Hammer thing. wanna That was not just a sample. That was a straight steal. He lifts the song. He he fucking totally. just he yeah. basically just puts his own words over the song. I there's there has to be a line drawn somewhere. About all he, did, all he added was, he can't touch this." But we don't want to. I do not want to disparage MC Hammer on in public because apparently he could put a hit out on you.
1: Right from what I've read, you heard about that too. <laughs> you sent it to me.
2: Yeah, I didn't know you watched it. Yeah, third yeah, base. We the guy talk from third me. base Wasn't that uh, interesting? says that MC Hammer put a hit out on him. I believe it too. The the white guy from third base. Yeah, he was a badass. Um, I'm also going to recommend this record. Uh, street songs I liked it a lot I thought it was great it's a lot of fun it's probably not quite as dangerous sounding as it did back in the day but it's worth a listen yep Um, Henry what's our next record going to be next record we're going to listen to you introduce this one man you want me to do it yep okay this one is called Faith it's by the band The Cure we're going to play a part of the song called Other Voices Surprise bitches, we made you listen
1: to the cure again.
2: (laughs) Well, they just they they made it they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's right. I mean, come on. It's not like we're making you listen every every time. Every Every time the cure doesn't do record. We are gonna put put them on a list. (laughs) (laughs) Count it out. We may not I may I may make this promise right now. We may not do another Brian Eno. Uh, we try to keep him off the list for, for the one. rest of the for the rest of the. We reviewed the
1: uh, 17 Seconds last year. We did. We gave it a big thumbs up. I'm sorry if he puts a record out every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not my fault. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree with me that this record relied more on mood and atmosphere
2: than its previous one? Than 17 Seconds? Yeah. Are you crazy? I, I would I, I would no, I totally I, would I totally agree with you okay. <laughs> I mean it's, there's, it's obvious that this one is almost in my opinion, a direct reaction to 17 seconds, yep. whereas I think the cure were trying to do something completely different to prove that they could do something different. Yep. Than 17 seconds. I submit to you
1: that I'm not sure that you as someone who knows who's gotten through pornography. Kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. And that, that's that's a all the way up That's to, a Cure album for
2: those that don't know. Sorry,
1: yeah, <clears throat> those those albums. Right up to probably one of the greatest records disintegration. of all time, Disintegration. I don't know that you can listen to Faith fairly. But that's the only way to listen to Faith fairly, the way it should have been. Hmm. Oh, right, I'm saying this wrong.
2: You're, I don't think you can. It's it, it's hard after hearing Disintegration to give Faith a fair listen. In context with those, it's records. better.
1: It's like for I think that if you were a, a Cure fan in 1981, that you might have listened to this and been like, "I don't know, what,
2: I don't know, I don't I, know what they're doing." Right? You know, and if you—that's you interesting because I, you know, I, I, I don't, I obviously was not aware of The Cure in 1981, yeah, so I don't know about what I thought of Faith. Um, then I, I would tell you now, I think Faith. Maybe invented goth music,
1: right? It did, and I would I, my 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 hypothesis. And I don't know
2: if he meant to. I think he was just being reactionary they didn't know to his time. own thing.
1: Yeah, like they didn't know at the
2: time right. where they were going, but they were going somewhere. What well, did you did you read this part about yeah. that the there was some I can't pronounce it. There was some movie that they did a soundtrack to that they added the soundtrack to this record when they put it out that you could get it as an addendum, and that record that movie. Mm-hmm. He was trying to do something really downer for the movie. I, I don't know what the I don't know what the movie was about, but it went with their stage show. But at the end of the stage show, when they would play that, he would cry at the at the end. That really? was the big thing. But I, all that said, I think it was um, it was like a it was like an actor going into a into a into an into a role. I don't think he ever intended to become the downer guy of all time. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I think this, they they did faith and he, and he thought I'm going to write a real downer record and we're going to do this downer thing and it's going to be, and then we'll go do something happy. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh shit, we just invented a whole genre. (laughs) Yeah. Like they accidentally invented a whole genre of music. Right. Right. Oh God. Now we're going to have to wear black for a long time. I
1: guess what I'm trying to say is to appreciate it, you would have to know where they're
2: going to really appreciate it. Right. You have to know where they're going. I can't say no to that because I appreciate it, and I knew where they were going. So I don't know what it would have been like to have listened to it raw in 1981. Am I saying this right? You are. You're, you're saying you need the context of disintegration. I think so, because appreciate. if
1: you listen to it on, without that knowledge, I think you, would, you wouldn't you would really appreciate exactly what, what was going on here.
2: Well, I, again, I can't speak to that. I really do appreciate what was going sure on there. And, and the one thing... Uh, the one thing that I really appreciated going back and listening to it was there are two bangers on this record. There are two uh, uh, songs that are very upbeat mm-hmm. and raw and kind of like punk. I think some of the best post-punk songs that the cure ever did. And the fact that they fit in seamlessly with all this kind of like, to me, it sounds foggy mm-hmm. and melancholic and like hazy in like a, uh, the weekend uh, kind of way like that dude's early yes, records where it's yeah. just like it, it sounds like Robert Smith's been drinking that, that cough syrup shit that scissor yeah 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 but then like there's these two post punk bangers inter, inter intertwined into the album and they fit perfectly and I was sitting there trying to think that takes real genius to be able to put you know now, artists don't really worry about how albums are uh, sequenced and how they fit together. But that really, those two songs fit perfectly within the context of the album. But if I have a new
1: listener here listening to my voice now and thinking, "Okay, I want to go listen to The Cure," I'm going to tell you, "Don't let this. I don't want this to be your first
2: one." I I would probably not either, but I wouldn't want Disintegration to be your first one. Really? See, I would rather you hear. Uh, 17 seconds. Yeah, me too. And then say, now this is then here the majesty of this. But I would say, I
1: would say, okay. First of all, you got to get through 10 records. All right. So, <laughs> okay. So yeah, so you sit down for a while. You could probably get not listen to the imaginary boys record. If, I could forgive you for that, probably. Start here. Start at start at seventeen seconds, and let's let's start marching. Well,
2: I I wanted to also mention because it's going to come into play on a record we review later. But right before this record happened, uh, a member left, Matthew Hartley, who played keyboards, left, Uh and they still went on as a three piece and made this record, which is pretty amazing. That it didn't hurt them at all. uh, That he left, I don't think it hurt them because I think this and this and this hurts my heart, Henry, because going into this show that we're doing Mm -hmm. I would have told you 17 seconds is my favorite cure record I don't even like 17 seconds as much as Faith now and I damn sure know I don't like it as much as Disintegration when I really start thinking about it I think I loved that post-punk edgy kind of Mm -hmm. and I always rebelled against people saying the cure were this mopey thing because they, they have records that aren't mopey like Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me and I don't think 17 seconds is mopey but listening to Faith, I'm like, this is just a better record. It's better than 17. You think that, You man. think it is? Yeah. Even the even the songs that I consider uh, the two songs that could be on 17 Seconds, I think I, I don't have the names of them in front of me. I think they're called Doubt and Primary. Mm-hmm. They're better 17 Seconds songs than the songs on 17 Seconds. That's interesting. Um, I, I, so I love I love this record. I had forgot about this record to tell you the truth because I think it's one of those where. Um, if I'm scanning through my LP collection to listen to The Cure... It's not the first one you pick. Well, you've been picking. I, I, how do I go by Disintegration? Like if I'm like, oh, let's listen to... Oh, well, there's Disintegration. Let's let's you know, or Pornography. That. That's or Pornography, which I really like. And yeah. then, um, Head on the Door is pretty good, too. So I was pleasantly surprised going back. I think you got to give this record props because it probably did invent goth music, which... <laughs> I would say Disintegration maybe is the greatest goth record of all time, but this album actually invented it, so that's pretty cool. So your thumbs up on it, I'm, a, I'm more of a qualified thumbs up on it. Okay. Um, I'm I'm definitely a total thumbs up on it. Cool. I also wanted to say, if you if you love The Cure, or not to say that, if you don't really know a lot about The Cure except the hits and stuff, then you got to listen to this one. And if you want to know about the 80s, because goth became a huge part of the 80s, you can't ignore faith. So I say go back and listen. To and it.
1: if you're probably motivated enough to listen to this podcast, you probably are motivated <laughs> enough to go check out faith. That's true. Henry, <laughs> what's our next record? So the next record we're going to listen to is uh, it's a soundtrack record from the, the composer Evangelos Odysseus Papa Thanissio, otherwise known as Vangelis. Oh, I like the way you said that.
2: What 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 was the movie that he did this? Uh, for? Chariots of Fire. And what song are we gonna hear? We're gonna hear the title song. So Henry, you introduced that song wrong. Um, this the song was actually named by Vangelis Titles.
1: What did I call it?
2: The, uh, title, the title song. song. And <laughs> so the record company wanted to change the name of the song when it got started getting traction on the oh. pop charts to Chariots of Fire. Oh really? And he actually tried to sue them to keep them from doing it, but they did change it on like I don't know what number it was, but like the fourth or fifth pressing of the record. So if you have a record, if you have this record on vinyl and it says titles is the title of the song? That is the actual. Really, title. right?
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. Hey, yeah. so in your memory, mm-hmm. was this song on the radio? Because in my memory, it
2: was very much so.
1: It was played on regular top forty
2: radio i believe yes
1: it made it into the top 20 it actually yeah. made the top
2: 20 and i don't I would, think the movie would be remembered at all if it wasn't for this song
1: my dad was a big fan of the song and i could not for the life of me I was, tra- I was like my memory tells me it was on the radio
2: it's not that he had the record and was playing it you know no and i and i can tell you uh, there's been there were two songs in my childhood in the 80s that that did exactly what they were intended to do which is uh, make me react a certain way. This mm-hmm. song made me want to go out on a beach and run. Yeah, that something about that.
1: <laughs> so, and when you did you listen hard to try to see if all right? So he did something that was called symphonic electronica. Mm-hmm. And so I'm listening to the record and I'm trying to see if I can hear real strings
2: or if they're. Or if they're key, I think they're all keys. They're all keys. He did almost the entire record on a CS80 synthesizer. He did play some live instruments. I didn't realize this till I did the research. All the drumming on the album, he did it. Really? He liked to do all of his soundtrack work, which he didn't consider anything but a side project for his composing work. Really? He liked to do it on the cheap so he could keep as much money from it as possible. So he usually would do it all himself. The interesting thing, too, I found was, so what he would do is, and what he did on this movie was, he waited till the movie was done, asked for a copy of it, watched it three times, then talked to the director a couple times about different ideas that he had, and then just went into his studio and did it all pretty much himself. I think there was a live violin or something that he used that he, he didn't play, but like the drums he did, all the keyboards he did, all the horn stuff he did. So that way he could keep as much of the money. Cause I guess if you think about it until this movie, I, I, I looked at his other movies he'd done. I never heard of the movies or the soundtracks. He probably wasn't making much money off the soundtracks. I guess not. What, I, what, what excited me about this record, Henry, because I love this as a kid I love it now,, yeah. is this record and Blade Runner," which was the next movie he did after this, and that soundtrack, to me, is the greatest movie soundtrack of all time. And
1: it, it, it has his, and the soundtrack has his
2: particular stamp. Well, on what's on it? What's cool is, right? these two soundtracks and all the stuff he does, sound like Vangelis, right, first and foremost. But what's amazing is Chariots of Fire is about an 1800s Olympic runner, and the music sounds awesome. And the Blade Runner is about the future, like way in the future, and it sounds like the future, and it works, and it's the same sound from Chariots of Fire. And it's
1: 1924.
2: I, yeah, I, so was, yes. I was blown, but I was blown <laughs> yeah. away that, like, this shouldn't work. Like, his, his sound to Blade Runner nerds, is the sound of what the future was going to sound like. So, That's what the future was supposed to sound like. So how is it working over a movie about uh, marathon runners in the 1800s? Well,
1: some people are saying that they the experience of his music is something called synesthesia, which is a perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one's sensory or cognitive pathway leads to automatic involuntary experiences in a secondary sensitive or if cognitive that means, pathway. If that's and a that, bunch of mumbo jumbo,
2: just, that means it makes my dick hard.
1: Then yes, this shit is well, awesome. Well, you follow me. It's like you, you, it makes you feel like running on the beach. It right? makes
2: me feel like, so
1: right. again,
2: to me, whenever we get to the actual future, it will sound like Vangelis. That's what the future sounds like to me. But what amazes me is it works, it works for the past too. So I personally think what is so amazing about Vangelis's two soundtracks, those two soundtracks, is that was what we all thought culturally the future sounded With like some, in the yeah. 80s. And the 80s, the early 80s were about the future. The early 80s was all about the space shuttle, moonwalking. Uh, We were all going to wear these plastic pants called um, parachute pants. We weren't going to wear jeans anymore like they did in the 70s. Bell bottoms were gone because we were going to, in the future, you were going to wear pleated pants. Everything was about the future in the early 80s, and this was the sound of it. I felt like when I listened to the Chariots of
1: Fire soundtrack, like especially, you know, there's that. Ball, ball, and then that that's that's the sound of your foot hitting the ground that's what your head feels like as it vibrates up your body i mean that's that's
2: he nailed that mm-hmm. but nobody else i know of does that well and it's and i, right? and I don't want to oversell that one song the whole soundtrack well, is great i'm just talking about the one people know so much. but you're so right i mean like that song makes you want to go out and run on the beat I
1: want to uh, I want to listen to some of his newer stuff and see if it's similar or the same. It really makes me want to dig into his stuff more now.
2: It's the same as uh, and gosh, I should have looked this up before. The guy that did the new up? the new Blade Runner soundtrack. Oh yeah, that I guy knew. has a particular amazing
1: sound. I read well, I read that he was he deliberately did that with a nod toward trying to make sure you were honest to the, to the, to the Vangelis, original. Right. Soundtrack I read that he his customary method of approach was to take as many keyboards as possible connected to the control desk and in the tracks of the multi-track machine and the idea was to play as many keyboards as possible at the same time, and that would be the broad way that the song goes and then he would start pulling things out he He has been awarded so much apparently Greece loves this guy. But uh, they've given him all kinds of awards for pushing what they call Hellenic culture, which I guess is Greek right. culture. Right, yes, it is. And he has been on the Greek 80-cent postage stamp. Did you know that? No. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, he's... Fucking Vangelis he's, is on is a fucking there. stamp. Yeah, I'm sure.
2: Well, I mean, to me, he's up there with Ennio Morricone. Like, he's got a sound... Mm-hmm. It's ubiquitous with a particular genre, and it's just great. So I am wholeheartedly going to recommend this record. And I loved it then as a kid. and It made me want to go out and run on the beach. Yep. Oh, the other song. I never mentioned the other song in the 80s that did exactly what it was supposed to do. What? I Have the Tiger. Dun, 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 dun. You, you're going to get punched in the face because I'm ready to box. <sighs> dun, dun, dun. Didn't that song make you want to fight? You watch Rocky, you come out, you hear Eye of the Tiger. I makes mean, you want to do, to, to do something to somebody. To do something to somebody. I was tough. Oh, 47 pounds. So, yeah. Four feet, 47 pounds. <laughs> yeah, thumbs up from me, too. All right. So one. that one leads us into our last record of the episode, Henry. And it is called Flowers, The Flowers of Romance. It's by Public Image Limited. And the song that we are going to hear is called Under the House. Was so, under the house, Henry.
1: How did you pick which one you were gonna we were gonna put here? I um, mean this that was
2: you could have rolled the dice on this that one. That was a dark throw. Really? hmm I have no uh, real interest in this record at all. I hated it. I oh, hated good. everything about this record. It's so interesting. I um, liked it. Okay, well before you no, go into how good it is, let me just I don't say, know if I can tell you I, anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I have I'll, a I have a particular reason why I dislike it. No, I, I, can't. man, this is going to be go. Okay. So, first of all, I think the Sex Pistols were bullshit. Uh-huh. I think New York invented punk music, and I think the Sex Pistols were a commercial money making put together boy band. McLaren thing that McLaren did to make money. It had nothing to do with punk. What I'm the hell sure that- does that have to do with it? Okay. So, already <laughs> I was predisposed to dislike <laughs> oh, okay. Johnny Rotten. Yeah. Then I get to Public Image Limited, which everything about Public Image Limited to me says this. There is a band of dudes. They make little art piece songs that aren't even songs because they're too cool to make songs. They just make they make ideas. They just put down riffs or whatever, and mm-hmm. then they would give them to Johnny John Lydon, and he would just do his terrible whatever he does over top of them. This band is so fucking lazy, and <laughs> they're not even a band, that when the bass player quit, instead of either A, getting a new bass player, or B, retooling and figure something else out, they just do a fucking... Bunch of songs, quote unquote, without a bass, and give them to John Lydon, and he doesn't go, "Hey, this sounds like crap," because he doesn't know what sounds good, and he just does his shit over it anyway. Uh-huh. There's no bass on it. All of a, compared to another other PIL records, it just sounds like mostly just weird vocal warbling over a drummer. It's lazy. The other PIL. PIL records do. No, this one does, because the, the, they dropped the bass player, so they instead of going and getting a new bass player, they just said, fuck it, we'll just do just some drum yeah, shit. Yeah. And it sounds terrible. This is a total throwaway garbage record. I wouldn't even... There's no reason to listen to it. If you're into Public Image wow. Limited, there's better wow. Public Image Limited. And let me give you a little tip. If you like Public Image Limited, listen to the ones that have a full fucking band, that have a fucking bass player. This is... Without a doubt, the worst record we've listened to in 1981. Well, I mean, I don't know about that. Oh, I will say, I do have one good thing to say about it. Um, This album cover is one of my top 10 album covers of the 80s. I love the album cover. Which also may lead to why I hate the album. Sometimes. Really, because it is a shit album. <laughs> that's unbelievable. In fact, the first See, couple I would take times the, I listened to it, I thought maybe my headphones were supposed to be doing stereo, and I was only getting one half of the signal. <laughs> and so I started fucking with the stereo, right. the stereo to be. And like, I would say up?
1: that it's probably only truly adventurous music being done on a major label in the eighties. It's the least commercial album that a major label has gotten
2: not because they're being artistic uh, but because they're too lazy to replace but it's and the a, bass player yeah, yeah so who cares why does that have to be because it sounds incomplete
1: it's like it's just to your to your ears like only two every, songs in this every, whole thing
2: even have a bass player right every other, every other PIL record has bass in, on them
1: right and so and uh this was the record shit Phil Collins, listen to this guy. Nick Loney, don't try to. don't try to bring, was, try to bring yeah. in Phil Collins. Yeah, to try to, he did.
2: Don't try to bring this <laughs> he, record up by bringing up Phil Collins.
1: Nick Loney, his work on the record was noted by Phil Collins, who pulled him in don't, to do. Don't face try time. To, Don't try I mean, to uh, scrounge up some Phil face Collins factoid to true. try to save this it's shit the, record. Like it or don't like it, it fucking happened. This record's terrible. And guess who John Lydon got along with? Nobody. Phil fucking Collins don't try to don't, <laughs> that's what they did
2: don't try to bring phil so this. At,
1: all i'm saying is this is it, it violates your narrow perspective of what a of what a band or a record
2: should sound like and you want to chalk it up to laziness no i'm chalking it up to laziness because of what other pil records sound like the the bass player was kicked out days before recording yeah. this record Do you know why because he sounded too much on his solo record, like P.I.L. and John Lydon didn't like oh. that and fucking kicked. What him does out. that have to do with the sound but, of but the record? But here's what they do: if so, if, if what does that have to do? If me and you are in a band and we've written a bunch of tunes and then we lose a member, are we just going to go? Huh? Oh, the tunes sound fine without the fucking I think, guitar. I think the name of the the record that's best was, part of the record was somebody
1: was the title of somebody else's band. I think the the, the name. Of, of romance, I think the anyway. name of
2: the record and the album cover so make me go. This is by the be a time great I heard
1: this thing, but this might be the first time I've heard it.
2: It'll be the last I time I it. hear it. So trust
1: me. I was. I will be honest and say that I was annoyed with John Lydon having read, or as a person, like having having. I think you bought me this book. It was um, it was a book he wrote called Rotten No. No Irish, no blacks, no dogs. Do oh, you yeah. remember yep. that? Did yep, you give me that for like my birthday or Christmas or something? Yeah, I believe it was. I
2: don't remember so, what holiday. And so use. I read
1: it, and I thought I liked the book itself, but I realized that he's full of all kind of self-aggrandizing venom. And so I completely ignored P.I.L. just out of spite, mostly. And and also there was plenty of other. Th- my entree to like post-punk music started with like R.E.M. So. Bands that had songs and all that kind of stuff. When I listened to this, I was amazed that major labels would put out something like this, like a uh, something that tries to rip apart all pieces of art and put them back together. And you
2: see it as laziness; I see it as inspired. You know, it's not. If, if it was inspired, I would applaud it for being inspired. It's not inspired, and this 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 goes to our central argument, which is if you hear a piece of garbage. And it's a piece of garbage for an artistic reason. Is it art? Or if it's a piece of garbage because someone just left a piece of garbage on the street, is it a piece of garbage? I, I say no. I say. I, I mean, art is in the
1: you know eye of the beholder, right?
2: I would say you are predisposed to like this record just because it sounds terrible and weird, and you always I like weird. You stuff. always love to go to terrible and weird. But but here's the thing: terrible and weird for a reason. I, I will at least, was for a reason. I will at least let you, Henry, say. You say, well, it's Henry, Henry likes this because it, it, this guy was trying to make a statement. Okay. This was it not a statement. Good. The statement was John Lydon was. Ego couldn't handle the bass player, and he said, get the fuck I out. I don't care about the ego or whether
1: the bass guy, why he got this, kicked this, out. Or this, also,
2: this blows my mind. So if you and I spent if, a year crafting a record together. But we and I I'm not bass, in PIL. Hey, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I don't get if, it. If me and you spent a year crafting a record together, and then yeah. one of us left, are you just going to put out the other half? You're just going to go, go. Mm-hmm. let's just go ahead and do the other well, part. I don't know if I would- we're not talking about you and me. We're talking about whatever relationship they have. I know, but I'm, had, I'm trying to say which how might do you, have been how, would, how are you justifying that it's okay just to leave it's the It's not base a, out. I'm
1: not making moral judgments on these guys behavior. I'm looking at how the well, needle went, went to the record. To.
2: I think you have to because if it's I disagree with that. Because if it's if it was done for an artistic reason, if they came into the studio and said, "We we're, we're going to do this very happy s- accident or rebellion or not." Hmm. I that dis- doesn't matter. I totally disagree. I think it was just a, to me it's just laziness. Also, it's an ego problem with John Lydon. First of all, I sure, know this from sure. knowing the history of PIL. Shitty people do art. He never had anything to do with, and he still doesn't have anything to do with the music of the band. In, in fact, he holds himself out as a, a, that's a, that's a, that's a, what am I trying to say? That's a no, no, no. point of pride with him that the other guys do the music and then he just does his thing over top of it. Yet, he has the fucking power to fire the bass player right before. If I were band. the other guys, I'd be like... Hey, you. He's a dick, man. You're
1: just the guy that sings yeah, over that, this that, shit. All that matters. Matter, you just don't like the way it sounds because of all the other stuff. That well, you've well, attached well, but it.
2: where I'm different from you is even if it was done for a good artistic reason, uh-huh. which I would say, okay, Henry, you have a point. I just think it sounds. I good. still don't like it. I do not like it either way. That's, it sounds like garbage. We have we
1: have a fundamental. You say it's garbage. I say it's great.
2: Right. We have a fundamental difference. I would say do not listen to this record unless the only other record available to you is the Air Supply record or the Army of Speed. By and God. I would say you owe it to yourself to go out and find it and listen to it. There you have it. That is uh, Flowers fr- of That would be our first like, fucking
1: black and white read on a record, really. Really? I think.
2: I mean, if that's the well, first time
1: I, you've nailed down well, like, the I, solid I
2: negative... And I am a solid positive. I would hope that the people that listen to the podcast would hit one of us up and let us know. Yeah, yeah. Where you where you come down on it? Let's, because um, yeah,
1: I want to hear from everybody out there who likes or doesn't like this record. Yeah, and see see well, you we can talk about on. it a little bit more.
2: Oh, and by the way, when you're listening to it, there's nothing broke on the stereo. It just sounds like half a record. By the way, <laughs> just so you know. And when you pull
1: uh, that great drum sound, remember that I told you that Phil Collins took it.
2: Don't <laughs> try to bring Phil in. <laughs> <it. laughs> Well, let's get let's find out what Megan thinks this month, Henry. Yeah.
1: Hey
0: everyone, it's Megan here with your mixtape for April 1981. Before I go into my record pick for the month, I have to tell you about a show I went to recently that was in fucking incredible. I went to see Brian Ferry of Roxy Music at the beginning of August and it was at the absolutely gorgeous Fox theater in Detroit. Um, It's this really old theater. They recently renovated it. And I think um, maybe the most recent democratic debates were there. It was actually like the week before um, I went to see Brian Ferry, I think. So that was kind of funny. Um, I was really excited to see him though, because he's getting older and you just never know, like, with these great legendary artists, like, if they're going to stop touring, like, or have health issues, and, like, worst-case scenario, obviously die. Um, Like, case in point, Peter Murphy, he just had a heart attack. Um, I'm hoping, I think he's doing fine, so hopefully he gets better soon. But anyway, Brian Ferry looked amazing, sounded amazing, and it was just one of the best shows I think I've ever been to, and I go to concerts pretty frequently, so... I feel like that's saying a lot. Um, He played such a good selection of his solo stuff and Roxy Music songs. Like during um, a little interlude, they played India, which is a really great instrumental Roxy Music song that's like only a minute or two long, but it was a cool little gem. Like I felt that they put in there for the Roxy Music fans. Which, speaking of, I was definitely one of, like, the younger people there Uh, in the crowd. I felt like I was definitely getting some looks from people, like, what are you doing here? But it was such a good show. Um, He had, like, an 11-piece band that was just incredible, and the energy they brought was just awesome, and the lights were great, and it was, like, a perfect kind of setting for a Brian Ferry show. If you get a chance to see him on this tour or a future tour, don't fucking miss it, because... It was definitely, it was one of the best, so I don't think you'll be disappointed. Anyway, April 1981. First off, um, Betty Davis' Eyes by Kim Carnes. That is such a great song. Like, Mistaken Identity isn't my pick for the month, but I just have to agree with Henry and Chris that that is just a timeless song. It's, like, weirdly nostalgic, too. So um, I feel like that's a really rare thing to find in a song where, like, reminds you kind of of the 80s because it has that distinct 80s sound but it also doesn't sound dated at all. And Rick James too. Like he was so fun. Like I'm not picking his album for the month because I can't. Um I have to pick Faith by The Cure because I am a huge Cure fan. Um this album is probably in my top 3 for them or maybe top 5. Definitely top 5, maybe top 3 depending on when you ask me. Um, I actually have a Robert Smith tattoo that's on my forearm. So clearly, um, I am dedicated uh, to to the cure. Maybe some people would think foolishly, but I think they're awesome. Um, This album in particular, it's so atmospheric. And it just has that quintessential cure, like sound. You know, it's kind of gloomy, but it's really pretty. Like, The Cure's music kind of reminds me of like really pretty funeral music. I think that's a good way of describing it. Some of my personal favorite songs off the record are All Cats Are Gray, The Funeral Party, Primary, uh, The Drowning Man, basically almost the whole album because it's a pretty short album, but it's so good. So if you're really, if you're looking to get into The Cure, I would definitely recommend this one. It's, it's great. I got to see The Cure, actually, on tour in Chicago in 2016, and that was an amazing show, too. Like, Robert Smith may look like a wine-drunk old British lady, but he sounded amazing. I think he sounds incredible still. They played for, like, three hours, and they just had such a good balance of songs, like new stuff, old stuff, and I think they actually played a couple of new songs, too. And I don't know. I've heard rumblings of a new Cure record and tour, cause I'd love to see them again. But I'm not too hopeful for a tour, uh, since they seem to only really be doing festivals, which I totally get from their perspective, because it's probably way easier than a full-fledged tour. And they're the fucking Cure, so they can probably do whatever they want and also make a ton of money while doing it. So... Whatever they do, I will support them. I just am really hoping that they tour again, especially in the Midwest. Um, They they don't ever come to Michigan for whatever reason. Um, I I guess maybe I don't blame them that much, but I'm hopeful. Not too hopeful, but it's there. So uh, anyway, um, that's my pick for the month. And now uh, let's get to the social media stuff. Chris and Henry mentioned it already, but you can follow us on Twitter at 80s Exposed. Um, instagram at 80s374 80s music exposed on Facebook and patreon as well um, we do have the patreon and just feel free to go on there and check out our tiers that we have and um, you know get a hold of us via social media we'd love to hear from you and you know hear what you think of the show and if you have any recommendations or anything please let us know you can also follow me on instagram my own account is bastards of young 92. And then I'm also Megan Maddox on Facebook. So feel free to send me a request and thank you so much for listening. Bye.
2: All right. So there you have it, Henry. So, we, so we've got to pick our uh, albums of the month. I, I hope this isn't going where I think it's going, but uh, what what is your, what is your pick for album of the month? <laughs> god damn it don't do this don't do this i want you to have credibility for the rest of the episodes we're gonna do don't do this Uh,
1: i can't really but you know i'm gonna pick the faith by the cure
2: (laughs) okay i thought you were going to another place okay so henry you're gonna take uh, the faith or the faith you're gonna take faith by the cure yes yeah, I think that's a record definitely worth going back and listening to. I'm going to go with uh, chariots of fire by Vangelis. Not a bad choice. either. I, I honestly think it it is so one of the ubiquitous sounds of the 80s that you anybody should go back and listen to it even though I know it's hard to listen to at least for people like me it's hard to listen to music that doesn't have words. Mm. You know, but like this I think the record's great and it's it's worth a listen. Yeah, I agree. All right, so tell so, them all what good stuff yeah, at the so end here. Many right? thanks to our show
1: producer, Greg Levin. If you like the way that we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller on Instagram, U-R-B-N-D-W-E-L-L-R on Instagram. Or NBC Greg on Twitter. We're thankful to have him on our team. Also, many thanks to Megan Maddox, who we call her our social media Maven. She basically controls all the switches and dials on our social media world. So if you talk to her, you'll probably be arguing with her. But Chris and I are on there occasionally.
2: I think people in Michigan. She's from Michigan. I think they say what Maddox, M- not Maddox. They're like we. We're are we.
1: Accenting the first syllable. Uh huh. I think Maddox.
2: I think we're doing it Maddox. I think it's Maddox or something.
1: Megan. Correct us when you listen to this, <laughs> and tell us if it's Megan Maddox or McGann Maddox. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, guess what? I made you a mixtape. <laughs>